As I was watching that video this morning and uh, seeing it again, I was uh, I was reminded that down the street from me, when I was probably first grade, maybe maybe that area age, just a few houses down, a family invited me to VBS, and I remember taking my mother's Bible to that VBS. I still remember the smell of it, and. Uh, I, I went from that scene, sitting there thinking of that boy next to me this morning in that bus. I mean, I, I'm him. I'm him. I'm here today. When I said pray that there would be fruit from that, I'm him. It happens. God takes what's planted and bears fruit out of it. So pray. This morning, we're going to talk to fathers. I... Uh, I've told you in past days that when Mother's Day and Father's Day comes around, those are probably the hardest times of the year for me to find text or to choose text to preach on. And uh, as I was preparing a bit earlier this year, thinking about Father's Day, I was reading in Romans chapter 5 one morning and just had the text that I was convinced I should share just kind of jump off the page. Let's read Romans chapter 5, just a couple of verses, and then I'll give you the text. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, beginning in verse 1, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And then it was these words that just jumped off the page. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. And as I read those, I just thought, that's the text. That's what I want to talk about. That's what I want to encourage fathers to do. Rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's what I need to say to fathers. That's what I need to talk about to fathers. Now, it's not 10 easy steps to parenting. I'm not going to give you 10 points here So you can go home and be a better father. I'll admit it's a bit more abstract what I'm going to talk about here. But what I began to realize as I began to prepare in this text is that's the that's the way God does it. He doesn't He doesn't write in one of his books, these are the ten ways to be a better father. But all over Scripture, all over Scripture, particularly in the book of Romans, you just take the book of Romans this week and look at it. It is filled with this, the glory of God, or glory, the word glory. Almost every chapter of Romans talks about this. And here it says, rejoice in the hope, or in hope of the glory of God. That's that's what will make us the kind of fathers we ought to be. When our children begin to see us, doing that. That's what they most dearly need is to see. And so this morning, I'm going to take that text and do three things with it. First of all, I'm going to attempt to define it. Define what glory of God is or glory when it talks about glory in Scripture because it is a bit of an abstract concept in one sense. It's not like describing, um, for instance, one person, it's not like describing a basketball. When you go to describe the glory of God, it's not like describing an object. It's, it's harder to get your hands around it than that. 
because it's a different kind of thing you're describing. But we're going to attempt to define it, to describe it to you this morning. The second thing is we're going to look at our problem with the glory of God. First of all, define the glory of God. Secondly, look at our problem concerning the glory of God. And then thirdly, look at the solution to that problem. And I think the solution lies in two things, that we see it, we see the glory of God, and we begin to savor the glory of God so that it so grips us that it both strengthens the hearts of fathers and helps their children, and hopefully all of us in that regard. So that's where we're headed. Those three things quickly this morning. First of all, what is it? What is the glory of God? And again, I would encourage you to just to just go through Romans this week and every place you see it, if you, if you are willing to write in your Bible, just mark it or put it on a pad of paper what reference it is. Again and again and again, you will see the word glory, glory of God. Uh, over and over again, it consumed Paul when he wrote the book of Romans. It's on almost every page, it seems, of, of Scripture, of Romans. And so I would encourage you to, to look at that. And our text this morning, um, we want to talk about what it is. Um, what is this thing called the glory of God? Um, and here it says, as we looked in Romans chapter 5, look at the way it describes it, that we would rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Well, here you, you could say, when you go to describe it, that it's certainly referencing, I think, um, heaven. There's a a sense in which it talks about some things that allow us to enter heaven here. We'll talk about those in a little bit. But it's really talking about when it says the hope of the glory of God. It is talking about heaven, but it's more than that. It's 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 what's going to be there when we get there, and even we experience it as we as we're on our journey to get there. This glory of God. But the hope of the glory of God ultimately is about seeing God fully. I mean, that's part of what what he's talking about, seeing God fully with unhindered eyesight. Now our eyesight is, is hindered, seeing God fully. It's clouded. We look in a glass darkly, the scripture says. We do not see the glory of God in all of its glory, not because God is faulty and not as glorious as he should be, but because we are faulty. One day, when I said it says rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, I think what it's saying is we won't have any of those blinders anymore. Nothing will hinder us from fully seeing it and experiencing it and enjoying it forever. But, but this side, we don't. And so it's a rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God, which in one sense is fully consummated in the future in heaven. But again, we ask the question, what is it? What is it again? What, that doesn't really define it. That, that tells you a little bit about it, but what is it? So, so I want to look at another passage. If you will turn with me to 2 Corinthians, there's a couple of passages, or listen clearly or carefully about what we're going to talk about. First of all, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 2. This is a, a description that Paul talks about. Um, it's an interesting passage of scripture. It's, it's an account that Paul gives of himself seeing a vision of heaven or, or, or 
being in heaven. Look at what it says in verse 2. I know a man, doesn't even say himself, but he's obviously referring to himself. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up into the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And he heard things. This is the amazing part. He heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Now think about that. He, he, he was at a vision. He doesn't know in the body, out of the body. But he saw some things. God revealed some things to Paul. And he's talking about it here. But he says, I can't tell you them. I, I think what he's saying is they're so glorious that you can't see them yet. You can't, you can't have them yet. You can't fully be ushered into that yet. You're not ready. You're not fully there. Um, and, and you're, you're too tied to, to this earth yet. And so there's something coming. Now, what I want you to do is contrast that with what he says back in chapter four. He, he's had this vision. It's so glorious that, that we, he can't come back and give it to the people. It's the whole idea, remember when Moses wanted to see God's face and God said, you can't see my face, but, but I'll put you in the cleft of the rock and I'll pass by and you'll see my backside. Again, that whole idea, there's something about God that is so glorious and about that glory that we can't fully get it yet. That's both of those instances talk about that. But Paul does say this in chapter 4, In verse 16 to us, listen to what the scripture says. So do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction. What is the light momentary affliction? It's life. It's life. It's life in a broken world. This light and momentary affliction, and he describes it as light, is preparing for us an eternal weight of what? Glory. See, it's right there again. The hope of the glory of God. It's, it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Again, the glory of God. The hope of the glory of God. You, again, it's hard to fully define, but here we get a picture. It's talked about weight. The weight of glory. An eternal weight of glory that no suffering in this world can compare to what that is. See, again, we get a little more picture, a weight. It's a weighty kind of thing. Listen to what he says in Romans chapter 8. Again, if you're looking through it, you'll see these things. For I consider that the suffering of this present age, the sufferings of this present age are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Again, the hope of the glory of God. There's no comparison to the sufferings and to the glory, and to the weight of it. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 2 maybe helps us a little more as we, as we define what this glory is that's very glorious, more glorious than we can even handle right now. Um, but it says, Isaiah chapter 6 verse 2 says, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And then he says this, The whole earth is full of his glory. I mean, you'd think he would say holiness. He just said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. 
The whole earth is full of his holiness. But he doesn't say that. He says the whole earth is full of his glory. So, again, as we define it, it has, it has to do with holy, holy, holy. His manifest perfections. That's what holiness is. It's, it's all that God is. His holiness is all of who he is. His manifest beauty and perfection. And the scripture likens his holiness to his glory. Again, we get another picture. So all of that, and there can certainly be more, but all of that says that glory is about the greatest value in the universe. It's, a, it's, about, it's about God. The glory of God is about God. And when it says rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, it's about seeing God in all of his beauty and all of his manifest perfections. That's the hope. That's what we rejoice in. And it will be grand. And it is now undescribable. We don't have any categories to fully put it into. That's why it's hard to describe it. It's hard to describe that kind of beauty. It's hard to put it in a definition when you don't have categories to put it there. And so all we can do is really contrast it with other things. And that's what the scripture does. It contrasts that. But it is It is a wonderful thing, and it's what we were made for. What we were made for was the glory of God, to experience the beauty of it. And and yet we have a problem. That's where we come, to the problem with the glory of God. There is a problem with that. It's the reason we can't fully have Paul come back and tell us about it now because it still lingers in this world, the brokenness of this world, sin. But the major problem is we spurned it. We spurned his glory. It's interesting to me, again, as you look at the book of Romans and we we find that word popping up, but the description is of how we have, have spurned that glory now, spurned what God made us for, we have, we have turned against it. Let me share a couple of passages again that you'll see as you walk through Romans. Romans chapter 1 and verse 5. Now, this doesn't specifically say glory, but it certainly likens it to it. It says, Paul is talking about the fact that he received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name. In other words, Paul's ministry is to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name, for the sake of his glory. That's what Paul was about, to, to, to help people again have a way to see the glory of his name, his manifest perfections and who he is. But the problem is, and the reason Paul had to come, is because I said we have spurned that glory. If you look at Romans chapter 1 and verse 18, look at the description there. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and all unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. What truth? The truth of the gloriousness of God. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God... They did not honor him as God nor give thanks to him. They did not glorify him or give thanks to him, is what that text is saying. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and made an exchange. 
And the exchange was they exchanged the glory of the immortal God, that glory, that manifest perfection of that glorious God which we were made for and made for. They exchanged that for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. In other words, they began to worship the creation rather than the creator. They began to say and look at creation and say, valuable. And they looked at God and said, not as valuable. And so they turned to creation and turned away from God. They spurned his glory. That's why we walk over to Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. It says, all have sinned and done what? Fallen short of the glory of God. You see how the scripture again and again uses that term, glory of God. And sin is about turning from what is glorious, the most glorious thing in all of the universe, God, and turning to something lesser and saying, this is valuable, this is not. And so that is the problem. That's the great exchange. That's the issue with the glory of God. And now the solution. What's the solution to that dilemma? And the solution is in Romans chapter Five, and we're going to look at that in a minute. But, but before that, we want to say this, and that is that how do we get restored to that? In other words, how do we, how do we begin to see the glory of God again? And if you've been at Richland for very long, you understand and you know that one of the things we say often is where we see the glory of God most concentrated Today, where we, where we see it is in the gospel, is in Christ. Let me, let me take you to a text before we go back to Romans of 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And, uh, and listen to what it says. Now, now listen for key words here. Listen for the words glory and Christ or God. It says, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing something, for, keep them from seeing the supreme value, and actually what he's done is he's had them turn to lesser value, the creation. So he's blinded their eyes to keep them from seeing something, and that is the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. The light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we proclaim, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where do we get it? Where do we see it? Where do we look to see it? God has come to us and he says, you see the light of the glory of God, you'll be restored to seeing it again if you look in the face of Christ. So you see, the the problem is we spurned it. And what's the solution? The solution is God sent his son as the reflection of his glory, the exact representation of his glory, and came. And so where we see the glory of God, where we're restored again to see it, is as we look to Christ. Now, when we look to Christ, that's where we come back to chapter 5 of Romans. Let me read it to you. This is, this is what happens. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, this is what happens through our Lord Jesus Christ as we look to Christ, as we look to Him, by faith look to Him. The Scripture says we are justified by faith. God takes what He has accomplished and credits to our account. He imputes the righteousness of Christ to us. We're justified. Our sin problem and our sin that has kept us from coming into God's presence to experiencing the glory of God has been taken away. And it says we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're justified. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Just think about that for a minute. Sometimes we pass over texts like that. We have peace. But who do we have peace with? What, what's happened? Our galaxy, our galaxy is uh, full of 200 billion stars. If you look up in the night, you can, you can only see a fraction of them, but our galaxy has 200 billion stars. And... Uh, if you look at our galaxy, it is a hundred thousand, it's a sphere, and it's a hundred thousand light years around. That's how big it is. A hundred thousand light years to go from one part to the next, to the end of our galaxy, which is a sphere. And it is also about 2,000 light years thick. So that's the sphere. 2,000 light years thick, 100,000 light years that direction. That's the enormity and 200 billion stars in it. In fact, it would take, um, I think I have this right, I think it takes 100,000 light years, I think, for the sun to make its rotation around that. I mean, it's just enormous, enormous, our galaxy. And then you think there are probably 50 to 100 million Galaxies. I mean, that's just unfathomable. You can't fathom. You can't fathom the galaxy. When I talk about light years, you can't. You can't fathom a light year. But then we talk about there's a fifty to a hundred million of those that that are out there. And God spoke, and it came to be. That's the God that we have peace with. I mean, peace doesn't have as significant so you'll begin to understand that that's the God we have peace with that's the God that made a solution that's you start you start to think about things like that and you start to see the glory of that God the beauty of that God that though we had spurned him though we had forfeited his glory for the creation that God pursued us. Let me, let me take you to another text that I shared in my Sunday school class. I think I have time to do that. Romans chapter 9. I don't want to make a lot of comment about this, but again, another text that talks about glory. When we're talking about what God did, and, and that hopefully as you see the gloriousness of this God, look in, in verse 22 of chapter 9. It says, it says this, What if God, desiring to show his wrath... And to make known his power has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. What that text means is people are not going to spurn his glory forever. He, he can't let that happen. 
He will will vindicate his name. He will do that, and he wants to do that, because he must do that. His name cannot be defamed, and sin defames his name. And so there is a part of God that, that wants to set the record straight. That's what that text is saying. And he will set the record straight. But the scripture says, what if God, desiring to show his, this is his desire to show his wrath, but he restrains it. He restrains it for a reason. And the second part of this says why he restrains it. He won't restrain it forever. The wrath of God is being stored up to be revealed one day, but right now it's being restrained. That's what Romans says there. And this is the reason that it's being restrained. In order to make known the riches of his, what? Glory. His beauty, his manifest perfections. In other words, it's about his glory. He's restraining what one day will come so that his glory might burst forth so that people might see it. It says, his riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory. There's that idea that that his redeemed people are prepared for glory. Going back to that rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. See, all of all those things tie together. Because God wants a people to experience his glory again. And that's what all of this universe and all that's going on is about God doing that. That his glory is going to be seen and it's going to be seen by a people of whom he's had mercy on. And the reason that he has not poured forth his condemnation on those who have spurned his glory is so that he could be merciful to a people. And he is. And, and that is the thing that is what causes us to see again. As we see that, as we begin to understand that, then you come to be a people who begin to rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That you are going to get to see that. You're going to get to experience that. You're going to have that one day and it will not be clouded and there'll be no veil over it. And as we become fathers who start to believe that and rejoice in that and live for that hope knowing it's coming, it changes things. When we start to understand that all of the power, all of the power, all of the power that he spoke that we talked about in that representation of him speaking and it come to me. All of that power that once stood in the service of God's anger against sin now stands in the service of his grace to his people. That's about the glory of God. You try, to def- you try to define the glory of God. That's what it is. That's part of it. That's that's what we're going to experience one day. The gloriousness of that God who came after a people. Came after a people who said something other than God was valuable and he changed them. He changed them to see, no, that was a mistake. That was wrong. This is the most valuable thing. And I'm going to rejoice in the hope of that glory. It's a tragedy. It's a tragedy today that 
that so many look at creation, but it doesn't deflect them to the creator. Creation, we should look at it this way, folks. We should look at it with this text that I close with this morning. Worship team's going to come. We're going we're gonna to sing. We should look at creation this way. Unfortunately, sin causes us to put a value on it higher than we should have. I mean, it's a wonderful thing, and we should appreciate it, but it should, it should deflect us to God. And what it should do is tell us this. It should take a text like 1 Corinthians 2.9 that says this, No eye has seen, no ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. You look at creation, you think of the most beautiful day or sunset or sunrise or locality, wherever it is, and one day you're there out there enjoying this and soaking it in and relishing it, and what it should say to you that, I mean, this is wonderful. This is wonderful. But it's only a reflection. It's only a reflection of the glory that is to be revealed. It's only a reflection of the God that has promised me glory that I can't even comprehend now, beauty that I can't even imagine now, a future that, that will just get better and better and better. That's, that's one of the things about God. Even in heaven, we're finite. He's infinite. And there'll be nothing static in heaven. There will be nothing that doesn't just get better and better and better. Can you imagine that? We, we can't even imagine how wonderful it is now. And after we've experienced it for 100,000 years, it will be manifully better. I mean, it just gets better and better. Is it any wonder that Paul couldn't come back and describe it? That should say to you, oh, it's a wonderful thing. It's, it's, it's what we ought to do is rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, seeing it, experiencing, tasting it forever. I believe as we become those kinds of fathers um, and, and, and owe it all, you see, because all of that, as we, as we do that, it means that we've come to see our sin is forgiven, we have peace with God, He's for us and not against us. All of his, all of his power and his grace is to make that a, a reality in our life one day. I hope that's the kind of dad you are. I hope that's the kind of dad you want to be. I hope that's the kind of focus that your life takes. You see, it's much better than 10 steps to positive parenting. It's the thing our children need the most. May God help us. Worship team's going to help us to worship this morning. Let's stand and do that. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing. in love You're rich in love and you're slow to end
draws near and my time has come, still my soul will sing your praise unending. Ten thousand years and then forevermore. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, O oh my soul. Worship His holy name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul, I'll worship Your holy name. Bless the Lord, oh, my soul. Oh, my soul. Worship His holy name. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I'll worship your holy name, I'll worship your holy name, I'll worship your holy name. Father, I pray that you'll help us to go this morning. And to go rejoicing in the hope of the glory of God. And Father, I pray that uh, if there's someone here this morning who's not rejoicing in that, that Lord, you will open their eyes to see. Open their eyes to see that, that uh, the most valuable thing in all of the universe is you. And it will be a great mistake to put value in the wrong place. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you.